Well, good morning again. My name is Matt Howell, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, again, I just want to welcome you to Redeemer. If you find yourself uh, joining us from a place of being burnt out with the church and burnt out with Christianity, or if you find yourself on fire for Jesus, if you consider yourself uh, skeptical or spiritual or somewhere in between, we're just thankful to have you. I want to welcome you to Redeemer. Well, what is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church, and what that means is we are a community of people that are trying to learn how to love. We're trying to learn how to love God and love our neighbor. And the way that we go about trying to learn how to do that is we get together each week to worship what we're doing right now, worshiping our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we might rest in His love for us. And then we get together throughout the week in small groups and individually over coffee or milkshakes or donuts so that we might remind one another of His great love for us. And as we regularly rest in His love and remind one another of His love, uh, we delight to spread throughout Midtown Memphis so that we might, uh, in service together, reflect His love for us. Because we dream of seeing our city flourish. We dream of seeing our city flourishing anew through the redemptive love of Jesus. So, That's who we are as a church. We're we're a community of people trying to learn how to love God and love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And the way that we've been going about trying to do that this summer is we've been looking at the parables that Jesus told. And the parable that was just read from Luke 14 is a parable that Jesus told at a dinner party as the crescendo of committing some pretty serious party fouls up to that point. And as I was preparing for this, it kind of reminded me of, uh, of a party foul I committed a few years ago. My wife and I were at a wedding, and uh, it was a great night, awesome wedding, awesome reception afterwards. And you know at the end of the reception, when the bride and the groom go down that kind of tunnel of people to get to the car so they can go to the honeymoon, and, uh, you know, different weddings do it differently. Sometimes they hand everybody rice, and they just throw rice at, at, the, at the couple on their way out, or they give them little bubbles and they, we blow bubbles, and they kind of walk through this cloud of bubbles. Well, this particular wedding, uh, they gave us sparklers, which is awesome. It's kind of this sweet glow as they kind of go through this little tunnel. And, I, I, you know, it was pretty crowded. I was two or three people deep into this, you know, line of people with my lit sparkler. And apparently, I guess I was too close to the woman in front of me, who I guess had either a lot of hairspray in her hair or some sort of flammable product in her hair because her hair caught on fire. And it wasn't like, you know, exploding flames, but it was, it was on fire enough to where other people around me had to jump into action and start trying to put out the flames. And I am not, I got the stink eye of all stink eyes from everyone around me, which was super awkward because here's this couple and everyone's cheering, yay, we're so excited for you. And everyone in my little circle was like, we hate this guy. Everyone was so mad at me. Major party foul. Well, like I said, Luke 14 is taking place at a party. It's at a dinner party. And Jesus starts kind of ruining the party. So all of the guests, that, that when they first get there, they, they all start kind of elbowing past each other to sit next to the host, which would have been like the seat of honor. They're all jockeying for power and position. And so Jesus publicly just calls them all out, calls out all of the guests, which was party foul number one. Things got really weird and awkward. And then that brings us to our passage, starting in verse 12, party foul number two, he starts calling out the host He says to the host, hey, by the way, next time you throw one of these dinner parties, 
you should not invite all of your rich, well-connected friends. Uh, you, you should invite the homeless and the disabled and the type of people that our culture just wants nothing to do with. Now, you know when you're in a conversation with a group of people or you're at a, you're at a dinner with people and things start to get into uncomfortable topics. People start talking about politics, people start talking about religion, and things get kind of uncomfortable. Well, inevitably, you can count on somebody to kind of make a wise crack or say some kind of joke to kind of cut the tension because it's just getting too tense. And that's exactly what happens. Look at verse 15. It says, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He's saying, I don't know what you're saying, Jesus, about all this weird eating with the disabled and eating with the homeless people, but hey, the kingdom of God's going to be awesome and we're all going to be there. And you can kind of imagine everybody around the dinner table is like, here, here, and they're chinking their glasses. And here's this group of people, this, this group of wealthy religious insiders that are all jockeying for power and prestige, and they, they're totally disinterested with the poor and the needy, and they're like, the kingdom of God's awesome. And Jesus cannot resist because he's like, this doesn't look anything like the kingdom of God. So he tells a story, a little parable, and it goes like this. He said, well, there was this man once upon a time who wanted to throw a giant banquet. He just wanted to throw this huge party. So he sends out Evites to, to everybody. And people start RSVPing with their plus one, and they're saying, yes, I'm in, yes, I'm in. And so he starts preparing this giant party. He fires up the grill. He gets the drinks cold. He gets his playlist ready. And right when everything's kind of set, he sends his servant out to go like, ring the dinner bell. It's like, hey, it's go time. Come on in. Food's ready. And one by one, everybody starts flaking out. They start coming up with these lame excuses. Ah, God, something else came up. I can't really go. So the, 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 the host of this party starts to get upset, and he says, he says to his servant, I want you to go out, and I want you to bring in the homeless and the crippled and the lame and, and anybody that you can find, the people that would never be invited to a party like this, and bring them in. I want my house full of people. And the servant does all this, and he comes back and says, they're all coming, but there's still room. And so the host of this banquet says, okay, then I want you to go out to the country. I want you to go to the boonies and the, you know, the backwater, and I want you to just go deep into the country find those people and compel them to come. I want my banquet full and awesome. So Jesus is basically saying to this dinner party, yeah, the kingdom of God is going to be this awesome feast and none of y'all are going to be there. It's going to be full of misfits and rejects and the dregs of society. It's going to be awesome. Now, there's... That's party foul number three. There's so much that we could say about this passage and this parable, but I just want to try to answer two questions. Number one, who throws the party? And number two, who attends the party? Who throws the party and who attends the party? Well, first of all, who throws the party? I think it's pretty obvious that God is the one in this story that, that's, that's pictured as this, as this man that wants to throw this massive banquet. And you can see this is his heart. I want to throw a massive giant party because even when the servant comes back and says, all these people are coming, but there's still room, it's not enough for God. God wants this house packed to the brim, jam-packed with people. He wants to throw a massive blowout party. Now, Jesus is making this point right on the front end that I think is worth camping on because you have to see the heart of God here. 
being with God, connecting to God, is here pictured as this festive, joyful, abundant, fun celebration. That's what is pictured here is what it's like to be connected to God. And it's not just this particular parable. It is all through the Bible. I mean, think about it. How how does the Bible start? It starts with creation. Why does God create in the first place? Was God just, you know, in heaven and lonely and needed a friend? No, he, he was perfectly uh, content and overflowing with love just for the loving relationship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He creates out of an overflow of generosity and creative abundance. He wants other people to get in on the action that he gets to enjoy. And then as you get further into the Bible, you get into the Old Testament, and you, you start to um, hear about all these prophets. And the prophets are painting these artistic uh, forecasts of what the future will be like, what salvation will be like, what heaven will be like. One of my favorites is from uh, Isaiah 25. Listen to how Isaiah paints this picture. He says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. I mean, heaven is pictured as like this party with thick cuts of meat and deep, robust, rich wine. I had a friend uh, say, heaven is not going to be a low-calorie affair. And then you get deeper into the Bible, and Jesus shows up. And what what is the context that he chooses to announce the arrival of his messianic kingdom? It's at a wedding. I mean, you you might know this, but what is the first miracle that Jesus performs? It's fixing a catering error. That's his, like, coming out display of, like, the king of the universe is here. I'm fixing a catering error. It was at a wedding, and the the couple did not plan, and they didn't, well, and they didn't provide enough wine. And so Jesus says, we we got to keep this party going. If the wine runs out, the party stops. So his first miracle is to turn all this water into wine. And if you go back and you look at that story from John 2, and you do the math, which I did, you will discover that if you put things into our kind of modern day terms, he, he, he essentially creates 908 bottles of wine. 908 bottles. That's excessive. I mean, imagine you have some friends that are throwing a Super Bowl party, and you show up at the party with a U-Haul trailer packed to the brim with 908 bottles of wine, and you're like, hey, I'm here, let's go. And everyone's like, I think you have a problem. It's excessive. And then, you know, Jesus goes on with his ministry, and he feeds the 5,000, he feeds the 4,000. He's always feasting with people. So much so that he was actually identified as a drunkard and a glutton. He's eating and and drinking with people so often. People says, this guy's a a, a drunk. He's an alcoholic. He's he's indulgent. He overeats. And then he tells um, probably the most famous story he ever told, the parable of the prodigal son, which is a story about a younger son that takes his inheritance and blows it all on drugs and prostitutes. And when he comes home, what does the father do? He throws a, a barbecue for the entire village. And then how does the Bible end? The Bible ends with this this picture of the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's this wedding reception that stretches on to eternity where the food never runs out, the drinks never run out, and, and the music never stops. 
Now, you put all of that together, what does that tell you about God? It tells you that God is a God who parties, a God that celebrates. He is bending all of human history towards this great finale of, of a festive, abundant, fun, joyful celebration. That is the heart of God. He is committed to humanity's fullness and humanity's joy in our life. Now, here's the question. Do you believe that? Because I think deep down, most people that identify themselves as Christians don't believe that God's actually committed to our joy. I've had lots of conversations with people that identify themselves as Christians over the years, and sometimes they'll come to me and they'll be trying to make a decision. They're like, I've got these two options on the table of something I can do. One thing is something that I kind of want to do, but I've got this other opportunity that's great, but I don't really want to do it as much. And I'll hear them say out loud, but I kind of think God is calling me towards this other thing that I don't want to do as much. And that might be true. I don't know. But the assumption is, if I have two options on the table, God would rather me be miserable. Now, no wonder the church can often feel mean and harsh and judgmental and awkward because I think deep down, we're, we have not been honest about the fact that we really do think God is miserly and, and he's withholding and he's prudish and he's only interested in duty and rules and suffering. But the God of the Bible is the head of the party planning committee who, who is planning this elaborate, massive, blowout banquet of joy and everyone's invited. That's who throws the party. Now, secondly, who attends the party? If that's who throws the party, secondly, who attends the party? In the end, who is it that actually shows up? Well, look back at the story. Look back at the parable. It's the people that never in a million years would have ever shown up or have been invited to this kind of party. The, the, these were the dregs of society. These were the, you know, the social rejects. These are the, the outcasts, the, the losers. They're the ones that actually go to the party. And it's all the winners, all of the people that just assumed, yeah, I'm going to be at the top of the invite list. I'm getting a VIP pass. Those are the people that in the end don't come. Now, remember the context here. Jesus is at this dinner party full of people that are assuming, yeah, the party's going to be awesome and we'll be there because we're the right kind of people. We believe the right kind of things. We do the right kind of things. And uh, we're the winners. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, think again. If you think that you're qualified to go into this party, that thought alone disqualifies you. It, it, the party that I'm throwing, Jesus is saying, is exclusively for losers. And if you think that you're a winner, you may not be there. Now, how do you know which one you are? How do you know if you're the, the, the loser or the winner? Well, I think the key to answering that question, really the key to unlocking this whole story, is, is found in that little word compel in verse 23. When Jesus says to his servant, I want you to go out to the country and I want you to compel them to come. To compel means to argue with somebody, to, to um, convince them that this is actually legit. Now, in the Middle East, it was a custom to refuse the invitation of somebody from a higher social rank. 
If somebody from up here invited somebody from down here to attend something, you would not just instantly accept the invitation. It would have been, it would have been presumptuous. Well, of course you would invite someone like me. So to protect the honor of the person that had a higher social rank above you, what you would do is you, is you would refuse. You would say, I think there's a mistake. This can't be, this can't be real. In fact, we kind of we get this in our culture when somebody offers to buy you a meal or pick up the tab. You have this instinct to, to try to, you know, refuse. Like, no, 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 let me get it. Let me get it. We can split it. And the person has to insist. They have to compel you. No, 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 no. I'm picking it up this time. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the people that in the end are the kind of people that show up to the party are the kind of people that have to be compelled because it just sounds too good to be true. It doesn't sound real. Jesus is saying, it's, it's somebody who has to be told, no, really, it's for you. Like, I'm being serious, this is actually for you. And so, if you've ever been around the church, you've ever heard the gospel ever talked about and you, and you, and you feel, okay, but you don't know what I've done, you don't know what I'm capable of. You don't know what I struggle with. You don't know the kind of shame and secrets that I carry around. This, this, this doesn't all apply to me. And if that's you, let me compel you with the very words of Jesus. He is looking at you and saying, this is, you're exactly the kind of person this is for. This is, it is too good to be true, but it's true. And it's for you. He wants you. So Come. And maybe you're the kind of person that's thinking to yourself, well, I'm a little insulted that you would even raise the question, of course I'm going to be at the party. I'm a Christian. I believe the right things. I do the right things. Of course, this, this conversation is, is kind of pointless. You have to realize that's the, that's the instinct, that's the response of a winner. And Jesus is saying, you, if, that's your, if you don't need to be compelled at all, if this is just automatic for you, then maybe you have disqualified yourself from the party. What's crazy to me about this whole story is that the, when the cool people, when the winners initially say, no, I'm not going to your party, any host in their right mind would have just cut their losses and said, okay, nobody's coming. We're going to shut this down. We're just not going to throw a party. But God, the host of this party, is not in his right mind. He says, okay, well, the party's going to go on with or without you, so I'm going to go out and find any person that I can, the misfits, the rejects, the losers, and they're all going to come in. And now you have to imagine when this party got going, and here's this whole house full of just misfits, all of the people from the village looking at this party would have thought, oh, wow, thank goodness I dodged a bullet because I would never want to be seen at that kind of party with those kind of people. And so the host to throw this party is willing to bear the shame, willing to bear the mockery of the village just so that he can party with losers. He is willing to bear the scorn of other people so that you and I can feast. He is willing to drink from the cup of shame so that you and I could drink from the cup of his wine. He's willing to be ostracized so that you and I could be brought into the feast. The God of the Bible just doesn't care. And in fact, he would rather be scorned and mocked and made fun of just so that he can party with losers. 
And that's what we see Jesus doing on the cross. On the cross, he is mocked, he is spit upon, he is laughed at just so that he can expand the guest list. He could have very easily stayed with the Trinity by himself, partying in a, you know, alone for eternity, but he said, you know what, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to die a barbaric death because I would rather die for them than to party alone. I've got to expand the, de- I've got to expand the guest list. And the good news of that is, is that means that really anybody can come. There are no VIP passes. You, you don't get a special invite only after you've accomplished something. You don't show up with your resume. You don't show up with your report card. You don't even have to bring a gift. You just show up. It's an open door policy. God welcomes party crashers. You just have to show up. And that is the invitation. It doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, what you struggle with, what you're going to do tomorrow. You feel like a reject. You feel depressed. You feel anxious. You're addicted. You're a mess. You're struggling. Party's for you. I'll end with this. <clears throat> Tony Campolo is a, a you know, fairly famous author and, uh, or pastor, speaker. He, he tells this uh, fairly well-known story of a time where he had this speaking engagement in Honolulu. And because of the travel and the jet lag and the time difference, he finds himself wide awake at this diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. And he's sitting there on the little stool, and in comes about 10 or 11 prostitutes from the city, and they sit down next to him, and they're talking. And one of the ladies next to him says, oh, my goodness, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39 tomorrow. And one of the other ladies says, oh, like, what do you want, a party? Like, what are you telling us? And she was like, well, I don't know. I'm just... I just realized the date, and I've, I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. And they stick around, and they visit for a bit, and then the, uh, everybody leaves. And Tony, the guy sitting there, he kind of pulls the cook over, and he says, hey, do those ladies come in here every night? He's like, every night, 3.30. And he says, who is that lady next to me that having the birthday tomorrow? And the, the cook says, oh, it's, this, it's, it's Agnes. And so Tony tells the cook, he says, I got an idea. What if tomorrow we, we threw a party? What if we decorated this place and had banners and, and we got a cake and threw a party for her? And the cook is like, awesome idea. I'll get the cake. We'll get the word out. So the next night, 3.15 in the morning, uh, everything's decorated. They got, the, you know, they got the cake and every prostitute in Honolulu is in this little diner. And in comes Agnes and everybody cheers for her, and they surprise her, and her knees buckle, and they sing the birthday song, and they, they give her this cake, and she's just blown away, and she says, do we have to cut it? Do, I, like, do we have to cut into it? And Tony's like, it's your cake. You can, you can do whatever you want with it. She's like, I'd rather us not cut into it. I want to take it home and show my mom. And so they're like, okay. And so she leaves with the cake, and everybody's just in there together, silent, and awkward. And so Tony says, let's pray for her. And he leads them all in this prayer of praying for God to make her new. And when he finishes praying, he says, amen. The cook looks at him and says, I didn't know you were a preacher. What kind of church do you preach in? And Tony says the famous line, I preach in a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. I love that. It's amazing. I love it. I wonder where he got the idea from. I think he got the idea because he worships a God that throws birthday parties for prostitutes. He worships a God that wants to throw parties 
for anyone, for prostitutes, for self-righteous people like me, and for normal, struggling sinners like you. The question is, will you attend? Consider that an invitation. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the joy of you, the joy of our God, the abundant grace of God. Would you also give us the grace to get over ourselves that we might show up at the party, party of grace where all the food and drinks are on Jesus, and that we might get in on the action. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.